0: Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me again on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We're going back a century this time to a British filly who not only scorched the turf during her dazzling career but also thereafter had a profound impact on the breed as a broodmare. Horse racing, like pretty much every other popular sport, is imbued with cliché. Sometimes it is self-aware. Other times it is eye-rollingly lazy. To that end, it's not uncommon to hear the latest sprint filly who wins a race well being referred to as the flying filly. But on this There are two points worth making. First, there was an original flying filly who was the first given that moniker and her name was Mumtaz Mahal. Second, it is highly unlikely that any of the more recent horses given that nickname were anywhere near as quick as her. She was very likely the fastest filly to ever run in Europe. For this, she had her sire the Tetrarch to thank. There is enough evidence to suggest with conviction that the Tetrarch was the fastest two-year-old ever seen, the strangest-looking thoroughbred in history and also the most mysterious. His initially chestnut colt was scattergunned with bizarre black blotches, and then it randomly changed colour to a grey coat with white blotches. This gave him the initial nickname The Rocking Horse, which rapidly changed to the Spotted Wonder when he won all his races as a two-year-old with consummate ease, breaking track records along the way. Even as a juvenile, he had the fully developed body of a four-year-old, and his jockey, the usually down-to-earth ten-time UK champion Steve Donoghue, swore that it couldn't have been his horse's first time on earth, as he essentially trained himself and knew exactly what to do before being taught. Freak was never a more apt term. Sadly, there are no surviving videos of him running. Mumtaz Mahal, although slightly more compact, inherited a toned-down version of her sire's odd coat. She was described as nicely proportioned with a regal head and a deep, dark, intelligent eye. She also obtained class from her tough dam, Lady Josephine. It was the Honourable George Lampton who chose and bought her on behalf of the Aga Khan in 1923. Lambton had politely turned down being the latter's trainer, as he was retained by Lord Derby, but helped the Aga Khan in other ways, including picking up the most expensive lot at that year's Doncaster sales for a hefty 9,100 guineas, the most anyone had parted with in the UK for a filly since the wonderful Sceptre over 20 years earlier. But she was worth it. She was sent to train with Dick Dawson in Oxfordshire. At two... Before she had run or even been tested, Dawson wanted to see exactly what he had on his hands. So he did a trial between her and stable companion Friar's daughter, who had already won that season and would in due course be the dam of triple crown winner Baram. Despite carrying a 28-pound heavier jockey, Mumtaz Mahal humiliated the other, and Dawson, in his own words, was so astonished and excited that I nearly fell off my hack. Word quickly spread that there was something special at the yard, so when she did appear in May over five furlongs at Newmarket, there were expectations. She justified them under regular rider George Hume by absolutely cantering up in 57.8 seconds, smashing the course record, and a time still unrivalled for a two-year-old at the track. She then went the following month to Royal Ascot and the Queen Mary Stakes, also five furlongs, where she bolted clear to win by fully ten lengths, displaying a beautiful rangy action. The Daily Mirror newspaper wrote an article called Flying Philly Wins Again, going on to say, she literally lost her rivals in the Queen Mary stakes. After standing as quiet as a sheep at the gate, she went off with the same wonderful burst of speed she had shown when making her record-breaking debut at Newmarket. And before a furlong had been covered, she must have been at least half a dozen lengths clear. The nickname immediately stuck, and the Aga Khan had a superstar on his hands. Three more pulverising victories came in relatively quick succession. The National Breeders' Produce Stakes at Sandown, the Molcombe Stakes at Goodwood, where she started at 40-1 to on and walloped her opponent by ten lengths, and the Champagne Stakes at Doncaster, where she was upped to six furlongs, Film footage of this day shows her bucking and kicking exuberantly in the parade ring, before trotting up in the race itself in front of an adoring public. She was a deeply impressive athlete. Her only blip was on her final outing at Kempton, again over six furlongs. Dawson wanted to withdraw her, as she hated very heavy going. But no one could get through to the Aga Khan, who was in Switzerland, for his blessing. So she had to run. In the event, with the mud dulling her speed and her zest, she was caught at the line by the Colt Arcade, to whom she was giving £7. The following spring, the big question as she entered her classic year was, with such phenomenal speed, could she stay? She returned from the winter bigger and stronger, and was thrown in at the deep end in the 1,000 guineas over a mile, for no other reason than this is what was expected of a champion filly. Five furlongs in, predictably, she was six lengths clear. But in the final furlong, her stamina completely gave out, although her class and genuine nature meant that she still came second, this time to plaque. As though unconvinced of the seemingly obvious evidence, Connections tried once more over a mile at the coronation stakes at Royal Ascot, where again she simply couldn't stay. She was an outrageously good sprinter, pure and simple. The penny having finally dropped, her final two outings were back over five and six furlongs respectively, at the King George stakes at Goodwood and the Nunthorpe stakes at York. And, of course, she once again destroyed the opposition, by six lengths in the latter. Mumti, as the hugely popular filly was now affectionately known, had proved that when it came to pure speed, no colt or filly could touch her. Not then, and likely never since. Her Racing career over, Mumtaz Mahal proceeded to become a legend for a second time. Living first at her owner's Sheshun stud near the Currah and then in England, some have accurately asserted that she is considered part of the fabric of the modern thoroughbred. Via her grandsons Nasrullah, Abanant, Royal Charger, and Mahmood, amongst many others, her genes seep into every successful line you can think of. She was naturally, the spider at the centre of the web of the Aga Khan's interwar dominance of British racing. And, as a consequence, if you were a fan of grey horses, then more than any horse, you have Mumtaz Mahal to thank. In the early 20th century, there were fewer and fewer around, as the UK was going through grey scepticism at the time. Mumti's watershed popularity changed all that as a native dancer would in the US 30 years later. Her immense success as a broodmare, carrying those special units of grey inheritance, ensured that these scarcer but no less beautiful thoroughbreds would carry on successfully and popularly to this day. Completing her post-racing European odyssey, she had her final few foals run residence at the Aga Khan's Ville stud farm, just north of Paris her legacy already more than secured. The flying filly, now a stately mare, passed away in 1945 on her own terms, and oblivious to the final throes of war all around her. But as one breeding specialist put it, great brood mares never really die, neither do they simply fade away like old soldiers, instead they live, virtually, forever and it is difficult to find a pedigree anywhere in the world today in which Mumtaz Mahal's influence is not felt. One could almost forget, in fact, that before her breed-defining input, this feisty, spotted grey filly displayed an unearthly speed on the racetracks of England never seen since. Almost, but not quite. To find out more about Mumtaz Mahal and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and share the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hyde signing off and saying thank you for listening.